The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day. Right? (laughs) 
That that is like setting the bar high coming right out of the gate. I gotta say, and we're you know? we're painting ourselves as uh, as outlaws. Yeah, really. Like the video. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. You know, it, I gotta say that was that was a Johnny call and that was an inspired call. I endorse that one a hundred percent. I was reminiscing. Was that what it was? <laughs> yeah, I'm missing the '80s this week. All right, all right. You know, the threat of global thermonuclear war will do that to some yeah, people. Yeah, get you a little fucking nostalgic <laughs> for the past. I hear you. I hear you. Shall we play a game? So, uh, yeah, for people who weren't familiar, uh, or maybe even weren't alive in the 80s, uh, that was Adam and the Ants doing Stand and Deliver. Yep. Uh, that was the lead single from their third studio album, 1981's Prince Charming. Nice. And, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, it was actually their first number one hit in the UK. Huh. Um, and it's funny because that was actually the second version of Adam and the Ants. There were two distinct versions. Mm -hmm. The first version basically blew up in January of 1980. Three of the four guys went to form Bow Wow Wow. Which gotcha. is another one of my favorite bands from yep, that era. This is true. So this was, uh, you know, pretty much Adam and the Ants version two. Huh? Did not and, know that. Uh, and yeah, they they killed it. And uh, and that was a declaration. You know, uh, highwaymen were robbers, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, in 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 the English countryside, who would prey on travelers. And that was, you know, their opening gambit. You know, stand and deliver your money or your life. It's you in know? the song uh, "Whiskey in the Jar." Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> good connect. Good connect. Yep. But uh, but yeah, good stuff and very energetic way to come out of the gate considering what we're talking about here for our, our opener, our main topic. Right, because today on a very special episode of Riffs and Rats, <laughs> oh hell, they're, they're all very special and dysfunctional. Well, you came up with an interesting term I hadn't heard before, uh, yes. barracking. Barracking. Which is like... I, or maybe, to be fair, maybe it's, it's, it's pronounced barracking. Barracking, yeah, maybe. maybe. Or barracking. Yeah, well, it's, it's, we're going by the English <laughs> version of it, the British version of it, which mm -hmm. is very appropriate, Adam and the Ants. But, uh, but yeah, I actually went and looked this up after you dropped this on me earlier this week. And the, uh, the British version is to shout, uh, shout at derisively or sarcastically... Uh, to jeer or to scoff, right? So yeah, I had a very erudite week this yeah, week. Yeah, it was all coming together. Yeah, you made a very good point, pre-show. <laughs> How did we get through eight years of Barack Obama and this never came up? Right, it's you like know? a hidden phrase. It's it's golden and it matches our uh, itinerary for today. It yes. is the thusly titled episode, uh, "Barracking Biden." Yeah, because we're on the. Uh, we've had a, almost a week to digest now the mm -hmm. State of the Union address. I don't like things now compared to the way they used to be. And that's what we're going to be talking about up front. Yeah. And in terms of the State of the Union address, not necessarily, you know, great ones of the past, you know, because I think we've touched on that in no. other episodes. I it's think expecting, you know, great oratory from Joe Biden. Flabbledy-flee! In my day, when we were angry and frustrated, we just said flabbledy-flee! Right, well, that's... see, okay, see, that's it. It's, we're expecting, um, as good American school kids, a profound, if not austere, State of the Union address. Yeah, yeah. In all honesty, that's what we were taught to right. view the the uh, the presidency, the office of the sure, president. Sure, sure. Yes. When we're up there, is in our little knickers, you know, saying a pledge of allegiance every day. <laughs> you know, the uh, the State of the Union was something our parents would watch, and and really yeah. seldom, you know, talk about much past that point. We might yeah. read about it in the papers. Yeah. But what's happened is that it has evolved or devolved, I should say, absolutely into an incredible dog and pony show. It's some juvenile shit, right? And that's what we're going to touch on tonight. Yeah, the the juvenility of it is that a word? Uh, juvenility? Oh, it is now. Okay, it is now. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's it's 
Look, it, it, it's getting as classy as a Walmart at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there, there are some aspects of it that still uh, last to this day, such as everybody stands and applauds when the sergeant-at-arms says, Mr. Soto, the president. Yeah. Everybody puts on a show because it's bad optics yeah. not to clap when they walk in. Oh, at yeah. least this week, we still have that. Yeah. And then uh, at that point, you can see... The the, uh, the dividing lines are drawn, okay? Yeah. And, you know, the way it's been for at least, I guess, the last 20 years now, yeah. you don't clap if the president's not from your party, That's, okay? Yeah, pretty much Unless the, the he's saluting rules. orphans or lepers or something like that, yeah. or whoever he chooses to bring in as a guest in the balcony, unless they are a Christ-like figure, you don't stand and applaud them. Yeah, okay? well, every now and again, they'll hit on a note, if mm-hmm. you will, that brings both sides up. Right. And usually at that moment, it's like, wow, okay, you know, a little unity, right. a little respect. But, you know, this is, I think, something that both you and I grew up uh, being taught was you didn't necessarily have to respect the person so much as you respected the position. Exactly. You know, and you may respect not respect like, the office. Exactly. You know, or, or the uniform if mm-hmm. you happen to grow up in a military family. Right. And yeah, we ain't seeing that these days. We ain't. And, you know, let's, let's try and break this down and keep it orderly because we've got a lot of thoughts on it. So, Indeed. We're starting with that. He comes in, everybody applauds, and they sit, and then he starts. And normally, their, their first sentence is, the State of the Union is strong. It's good. Or, it's yeah, good. Exactly, yeah. No matter how shitty things are, of course. <laughs> yeah. you know. yep. So let's say to ourselves, self, there are certain things that they have to say, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what party they're a part of. Yeah. Then they've got to dig on... Yeah, depending on whatever the hotbed topic is. So, yeah, they get into an agenda. Right. Now, yeah. if you're in the middle of a depression, it's primarily going to be about economics. Sure. If you're on the verge of a world war, it's going to be about foreign relations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, when things are actually going the way they should, and we're in a period of quote-unquote normalcy, the speech will get to touch on a number of things. Sure. But that's sure. In, a, in a perfect world. Indeed. So again, if you're talking about something that's that's going on in the country, obviously it's going to divide people because you're going to have differences of opinion, which, because the last time I heard we were democracy, last I'm cool with that. Yeah. I mean, you can you can respect somebody's opinion even if you don't share it. Sure. There's nothing wrong with and that. And hey, look, if you want to sit and not applaud on a uh, particular speaking point, that's your that's right, fine. and I'm cool yeah. with that. Yeah. The problem that you and I both <laughs> have with these little presentations now yeah. is the onset of barracking, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Since when do you? When is it okay to uh, disrupt a president's speech? I don't care who it is, and right. I don't care what position politically you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, when? How is that okay? Right. In a you know? most most disrespectful manner. Yeah. Heckling? Really? Right. You know, most people don't even do that to comedians out of respect, but yet they're going to, in, in an elected office, no less, yeah. they're going to do it to a president. And in all honesty, what do you think you're accomplishing by that doing well. that? Well, I you tell know? you what, they kind, of, uh, they kind of appease their side of the aisle, you I, think? I, I guess. Yeah? Because I'd be embarrassed if my rep were doing that. I would right. be like, oh my God. And in this case, because uh, something I'm sure you'll touch on that just happened in this one, there was two yes. Republican... Uh, senators or congresswomen yeah. that got up there and heckled Joe Biden. Yeah. And look, as listeners know, I'm the right-leaning guy, and I have no love for this version of, of Joe Biden we've got. Yeah. 
But there is no excuse no, that to is heckle not the cool. president of the United States. I mean, come on. Yeah, of course, we're talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, U.S. rep from Georgia's 14th district, and mm-hmm. Lauren Boebert, the U.S. rep from Colorado's 3rd district. And in all honesty, if we got anybody listening from either of those places, really, guys, this is the best you could offer? Right. This is the best right. you could put up? These are the people that are representing yeah. you? Really? I mean, because even in high school debate class, they teach you a thing known as parliamentary procedure. There we go. Which applies to everything from union negotiations to Major League Baseball to, you know, uh, political presentations yeah. and, and getting the word out and having your, your time, your allotted time to look. Like they say, elections have consequences. They do. Joe Biden won. It's his State of the Union. Let him give his speech. Yeah. And just, just, you know, to make sure that, you know, again, those, are those people out there who listen to the past, that I'm the left-leaning uh, member of this particular team. But this isn't a partisan thing. Back in 2005, when George Bush was the president, he got booed during a State of the Union address when he started talking about Social Security and the very real possibility that it was going to go bankrupt. And that wasn't cool either, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not, it's not a partisan thing at all. You know, and it's 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 bullshit, quite frankly. And it obviously we uh, both remember it happened back in 2009 when uh, Joe Wilson, who was a Republican rep from South Carolina, yelled at Obama during the State of the Union speech. But mm-hmm. an important distinction must be made. Wilson manned up after that, apologized to Obama. Right. He copped to being out of line. Shouldn't have said that. I strongly doubt that we're going to hear any. Anything. As a matter of fact, I think Bober doubled down on it afterwards when they when they questioned her about it, when the press questioned her about it. So it's like, honey, put down the shovel, mm-hmm. okay? You already look like an ass. You're embarrassing your constituents. You know, time to shut up about it yeah. you know, and move on. And I will say, you know, in defense of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene earlier this week when, uh, when Lindsey Graham, uh, tweet, I think it was he tweeted, uh, called for the uh, Russian people to rise up and no, take out... Yeah, he said it. He said it. Yep. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of a cross-section of both Democrat and Republican uh, representatives who called out Graham on that and said, you know, we really can't be having this. Right. You know, this is unstatesmanlike. So, you know, props to her. I don't like her, never liked her, not ever going to like her, but I respect the fact that she did, you know, she did She did stand up on that particular one and, uh, and, and act... How she's expected to act, being a right. representative, you know? And that's the thing. I mean, you can watch, um, you know, the uh, British Parliament, and they're, they're known to be a rowdy bunch. And, oh, yeah. And we kind of, or at least there was a time, when we kind of took glee in watching that because it seemed like it was kind of out of control. A little bit of a circus, yeah. But it's, it's, it's the way they operate, and I can almost guarantee you that in their typical, you know, respectful English polite way, yeah. after the session lets out... They're over having a pint together. Well, they, they bash <laughs> on they bash on each other in a very statesmanlike way, right? You know, using right. proper English. Mm-hmm. You know, the kings, if you will. Um, so yeah, there's obviously a script that those guys follow, right? Uh, and it's well established, and they've been doing it for centuries. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's we don't do that. Over and here's here. the other thing: it it has become um, an, an elaborate tit for tat, and uh, you know. During the pre-show, Michael and I got into a heated argument because we <laughs> were discussing, I we, guess that's the best word to put it. We do that on occasion. Um, when uh, Representative, uh, Speaker of the House, rather, Pelosi Trash. Um, ripped up uh, President Trump's itinerary, State of the Union speech. Yeah. And uh, Michael said, well, it was only because he had rebuked her 
her offer of uh, extended hand well, the, before the, the thing. The word was, yeah, he, he ducked an attempt by her to shake his hand. You know how they when they come in for the sure, State of the sure. Union, the president reaches up and shakes hands yep. with the vice president. Again, that used to be house. a standard. That was still during the, the happy when you first walk in part. Oh, you yeah. know, yep. shake everybody's hand, everybody yeah. smiles. Yeah. So I will introduce the concept then of the higher ground. So right. if that's in fact, because you can't trust this guy, folks, <laughs> if that's in fact how it went down, because I have no memory of it, and if you ever hear John say anything <laughs> anything opposite of that, it's time to worry about Johnny Teflon. Right. Um, if so, if in fact that that's true, then shame on her for not taking the high road. Agreed. And I say that to these Republicans as well. Shame on you. Shame on you. Because look, I can get used to LeBron James, another one of my favorites, <laughs> getting on on stage. And, How in the hell did in LeBron fairness, get into this discussion? I tell you what, oh, in fairness, shit. it was Charles, Charles Barkley that said it first, I'm yeah. not here to raise your children, okay? <laughs> okay? Don't make me a role model. Yeah, And that's fine for professional athletes, but I still am naive enough to think that our professional politicians, our senators, congressmen, presidents, and the like, Guess what, assholes? You are in a position to be role models for our children. Oh, yeah. Well, the difference is these guys are elected, and they are representing. Right. They know? work for us, moreover. Bingo. And they, they can't act like a professional uh, adults. You can't pull that shit in a boardroom in any major country, but yet the most powerful you know, country in the world, this is what's going on yeah. in front of its, its populace tuning in to... God forbid, find out what the State of the Union actually is. Yeah. The, the kind of shit is un... un Unacceptable, completely unacceptable, and quite honestly, we need to demand more yes. of our representatives than this. You know, we really do. I mean, let's call this first in our series of a thousand <laughs> times we will mention, look, voting public, get your shit together, okay? Because it's obvious they're going to keep throwing these assholes in front of us and say, well, choose one, yeah. okay? And it's not until the American people start producing better candidates. Yeah, and, and hold them to a higher standard. Yes. Shit's only going to get worse. Never yeah. mind actually solving the problems of the land. Yeah. Just get somebody that can act the part. I mean, shit. Yeah, and it's, it's become so juvenile. What appears to be being lost is what's good for the country. Right. You, you and know? I, John and Jane Q. Public in the streets, yeah. are just completely getting grabbed by the haunches and <laughs> just ridden into submission by the whims of these few powerful people. Yeah. And I'm far from a revolutionary, believe me. I'm too lazy to protest. Um, but you know what? Something's got to be done. Well, your agenda should be a little bit more extensive than blocking the other party's progress. <laughs> right, right. You know, you should What's be our big plan? Well, what are they doing? The opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking the other guy up. It's it really, really... You know, we can do better than this. We can elect better representatives than this. We can demand more out of them. Right. You know, living inside the Beltway is a privilege. You know, and if you have any idea how these people live, mm -hmm. you'll understand exactly what I mean. Yeah, and, and even though I hate this overused cliche, it could definitely apply here. You know, partisan politics is such a game of tit for tat, and eye for an eye. You got to remember, in an eye for an eye, it leaves everybody blind. Indeed, and that's what's happening. In so much as nothing's really getting done. Yeah, and in lieu of what's going on in the rest of the world, right? It's time to shake this shit off. Because please, I mean, they they could get up there and say, oh, we, we voice support for the Ukrainian people and this and that. Maybe you should really deep dive and see what's going on over there and yeah. look at the human suffering and maybe it'll get your priorities in order. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I... Uh, yeah, 
Seek the, un- un- seek the higher ground, please. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, there's, there's, there's shit going down, and it could get worse before it gets better. Right. And, yeah, we got we to gotta demand that the, that the people that are up there representing us uh, are up for the challenge mm-hmm. and then step up to the challenge. Right. And not just give some empty-handed harumphs, you know, yeah. or in the case of the squad, because you know I love them, too. <laughs> you know, let, let's have matching outfits and show protest that way. Really? If Johnny really? hadn't mentioned the squad during this discussion, <laughs> I'd have been concerned about it. Well, so, who do you think? You <laughs> look, who do you think went to Kamala Harris and said, "You know what? You should wear brown." <laughs> Did you catch that? No, I didn't. No one in the vice presidency has ever worn brown as a suit or anything else. Okay, yeah. she's there in a brown, like straight from the Hillary Clinton pantsuit collection. Okay, but w- let's where, drive w- the point home that you're a minority and <laughs> and we got you in here. But where's the precedent? You know, when have we ever had a female vice president ever? Dan Quayle. <laughs> see, that was fair. No, that was. I that call was it like I see him. Yeah, I hear you. Dumbass couldn't you. spell potato. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. But okay. um, you know, my, my my other big bugaboo <laughs> with this whole thing—something they should do away with. Yeah, it, it's it's that that damn oh, rebuttal. rebuttal. Yeah. Right. Oh, please. And again, it doesn't matter who's in office. Somebody from the other side. Again. Elections have consequences. They do. When you lose, you don't get to have the center stage. You yeah. know, you're, you're no longer the star of the show. Yeah. But yet, and you would allude to me uh, privately, well, probably because of that that freedom of um, representation type yeah, blue equal, law that's in there, yeah, right? Equal, equal time. Yeah. Which is, is charming and quaint, but you know what? Fuck no. Load of get shit. rid of it. Yeah. Because my problem is, it's never an uplifting message from the other side of the no, aisle. No, and it's Never. become completely predictable. Right, because all they're going to do is rip apart what the previous person said. Agreed. And don't think it hasn't been a little slice of heaven, because it hasn't. And to me, again, there's nothing productive about that, because nothing. people that disagree with the speech don't need help, yeah. okay? They heard the words. They don't like them. Yeah. They don't need somebody to coach them along. Yeah. And say, well, you know what? That was pretty douchey, wasn't? But you're an asshole. Yeah. Let's, let's str- give you something else to get you more riled up. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you set the bar a little higher, people? And yeah. I mean, I'm sure you heard this. We had like multiple rebuttals mm. on this one. <laughs> you know, we had to hear from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Exactly. Was like, what the fuck is this? Right. You know, really? Yep. I mean, my and that God. is that's like uh, that's a a fringe of a fringe, and now they've got equal airtime too. They get yeah. their two cents in there. Yeah. Who the hell are they trying to patronize? I, I don't get it. And again, good of the country come up with any of you people? Did that appear on any of your agendas? And I'll go back to my old thing. Look, if you're, if you're a minority and you're, you're 10% of the population, you get equal treatment, but you don't get an equal voice. You know why? Because you're goddamn 10% of the population. <laughs> okay? You don't need to be Einstein to work the math out there. Yeah. Message! Yeah, check the numbers. Check the numbers. Oh, people. good lord! I know, <laughs> I know. God damn. Anyway, and this is something again. They act like they're they're giving us this. Like this belongs to you, the people. It's time yeah. for the majesty. I mean, look. I I I think at this point, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade gets yeah. treated with more reverence than the State of the I, Union. Uh, yeah. I don't, <gasps> Here I, comes Snoopy. Yeah. He's the oldest balloon. I don't want to hear the rebuttal, <laughs> and I certainly don't want to hear the rebuttal to the rebuttal. You know, right. I don't have time for this shit. Yeah, and then guess what's going to be on the cable news networks for the next ten hours? More rebuttals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, it's devolved into this. 
And people yeah. wonder why I drink so much. Jesus. Well, they still wonder that. Do they? Yeah. Oh, wow. That'll be on the next State of the Union yeah, rebuttal. Yeah, there you go. Now, from the <laughs> drinking contingent. <laughs> Let me tell you, that, I was messed up. <laughs> yes, the drunken rebuttal. Thank you. Right? So anyway, anyway, where are we going with this? Well, we're gonna have to head towards a, a gem because this is so. just a typical. God. Yeah, it's it's a frustrating topic, but we had to broach it because it's like right there in our, I know, our faces. I know. It's yeah, it had to be addressed, and now that it's been addressed, let's move along. Okay, let's undress a beauty of a gem. What do you got? <laughs> I actually do. I mean, following your absolutely inspired uh, suggestion for the opening gem, Quit I your felt patronization. like I had to do the same. <laughs> Because you can do no wrong with this band. You really can't. And, and we're doing we're doing this. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of appropriate, you know, given the big picture. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, uh, this is the Talking Heads doing Life During Wartime. And there you go. It kind of a uh, just a, an apropos little jam. And Absolutely. again, can't go wrong with the Talking Heads. So enjoy this tune, folks. I know you will. And we'll be back in a couple more minutes with some more things and stuff. Oh, 
There you have it. Nothing wrong with a little talking heads, too. You know, man, if you need to put an absurd situation into perspective, Best the talking heads it. are your, yep. your band. They're, they're Absurdity the ones that, that rings true. Yep, <laughs> yep. So, yeah, like we were talking about before the song, that was Life During Wartime. It was their first single from the, uh, the 1979 album Fear of Music, mm-hmm. uh, the appropriately absurd title. Right. And uh, <laughs> I, I always love David Byrne's description, you know, when people were like, what was the song about, David? Right. And uh, he described it as a post-apocalyptic landscape uh, where a revolutionary hides out in a deserted cemetery surviving on peanut butter. Yeah, he doesn't suffer fools, does he? No. <laughs> no, and if you weren't picking up the sarcasm behind that one... Right, because I'm sure that that response was different in every town on the press junket. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> Have you ever read Silas Marner? <laughs> what? He's so deep. Yeah, but yeah, you want a, you want an absurd scenario put in perspective, which it seems like we're living that these days. Yeah. Thank you, David Byrne and the Talking Heads. Yep. So we, we picked that because, like most good middle gems, it's kind of a segue or a bridge yep. from one topic to the next. Uh, and it applies because, like you just said, in a weird kind of way, this is life during wartime. Even if it's not our wartime, yeah. tell that to people in, in Kiev. Yeah. So Every, Everybody's a little <laughs> on edge with this, yeah. just a little bit. But if anything, this episode is kind of dedicated to the art of the spoken word. Yes. So we started with the old State of the Union address. And upping the bar. Oh, yes. We're upping the bar. And returning to one of our favorite concepts, which we haven't done in forever, yes. is our, our favorite top threes of there we go. something. Yeah. And again, flexing our, uh, our higher education. Indeed. We went with our top three... <laughs> Favorite speeches yes, of all time. Speeches of all time. Most inspiring. Most, most. Sure. You know, giving you goosebumps. 
And I, I, I think that's a good word, inspired, because that, that yes. is a common thread that runs Absolutely. amongst them all. Absolutely. And, you know, since we were, we were, you know, spent the first half of the show bashing on our representatives mm-hmm. and how they are not inspiring and they are not rising to the occasion... Here's a little example of, of people who did. Right. We're going to peek into the other guy's backyard. There we go. And see how it's done correctly. Yeah. So would you like to go first, sir? You want me to go first? Yeah, with your, uh, let's right. see, uh, right. as usual, I guess, your number three leading up to three. your favorite. Sure. All right. Well, my number three was the John F. Kennedy, uh, we're going to the moon speech from mm. September of 1962. Uh, he delivered this speech at Rice University in, uh, in Houston, Texas. And this was the speech that put NASA on edge Mm-hmm. for a multitude of years afterwards because he didn't warn them this was coming. You know, we had just gotten involved in the space race with the Soviets, curiously enough, and we were counterpunching. Mm-hmm. They were ahead. You know, they sent the first satellite into orbit. We sent a satellite into orbit. They sent a guy up in space. We sent a guy in space. Mm-hmm. They sent a guy up and, and went around the, the Earth once. We sent a guy up went around the Earth six or seven times. But still, we were counterpunching. And in a lot of ways, JFK said, all right, enough of this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to commit ourselves to taking the lead on this. Right. And the, the great fear, of course, um, and I think, you know, the, the most eloquent Lyndon Baines Johnson put it most certainly in perspective. He didn't want to look up and see a red moon every mm-hmm. night. So yep. it was like we decided to go to the moon. Some of the more uh, distinct uh, lines in the speech. I mean, if you read the whole speech, there's a lot of stuff that he said that was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing, and one of the reasons why I picked this as my number three, it was a speech that inspired people. Right. You know, and he said... Can you repeat that again for the, uh, for the kids in the audience? It inspired people. <laughs> Believe it or not, guys, once upon a time, this is what our elected leaders did. They right. inspired us. You know, but one of the things he said, and one of the most poignant things he said, is we choose to go to the moon in this decade. Mm-hmm. In other words, he put a time frame on it. And then he further said, and to do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And you actually, he actually hit a little bit of a Boston accent on hard. <laughs> just well done. Bit, I was yeah. waiting for that. Hot. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just, it, it like got people fired up. They were like, yes. yeah, we're, we're doing this. We're yep. doing this, you know, and... and over the course of the speech, he said, yeah, we're going to commit the money to it. We're going to mm-hmm. do this. We're going to do that. He made a very blatant but subtle reference to the Soviets mm-hmm. and how they weren't open or uh, truthful about their accomplishments and whatnot. And yeah, he basically told people, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do it by. We're going to leave these guys in the dust. You know? And it was just, it was inspiring. You know, it, it was a speech that if you listen to it, the way Kennedy delivered it, because he was one of the better orators of mm-hmm. his time, it got you fired up. Right. Yeah, you know, it was like, yep, let's go, let's do this. You know, there's no question, we're doing this. All right. And lo and behold, we did it. We did it. Yeah. So over to you, Johnny. All right. Well, this, these are all going to be tough to follow because they're all top shelf. Indeed. Uh, coming up, my, my uh, third one is uh, Winston Churchill's address to the world, uh, often just referred to as the Beaches nice. speech. Nice. Uh, and yes, of course, it's where he refers to. Um, yeah, you know, we'll fight him in the beaches and the hills. Very, very Shakespearean. Yep. Um, but he is supposedly had turned to one of his um, support people right after, like he was done on the mic. Yeah. And says, I, "I'm not going to try a Winston Churchill <laughs> <laughs> accent." No but I uh, say, so, "Yeah, we'll be we'll be fighting him with the broken ends of beer bottles too if we don't get some <laughs> weapons soon." But this was a time when you know, not just Great Britain, not just Europe, but the world. 
um, had just witnessed the British getting their ass handed to them at Dunkirk and right. barely getting back. Yeah. And he references later on in a speech that should um, their homeland fall, you know, British, uh, their mighty navy and all their colonies around would continue to fight until the last man, basically. Yeah. And it galvanized that country. It sent a very clear message, um, really from a, a PR perspective, because we were still quite a ways from jumping in. Yeah. But... You know, much like um, Mr. Zelensky over in Ukraine, at that point, Churchill was imploring America to get involved. Yeah. And we had already established the Lend-Lease Act, and we had sent in these, you know, kind of outdated destroyers and whatnot. Yeah. But so much more w- w- was needed. Yeah. And I wonder if even with the attack on Pearl Harbor, without this type of, of um, oration to lay the groundwork and to get the American people, get their hearts involved in the struggle. Yeah. If we would have reacted exactly the same way that we did. Yeah. I mean, who, who's to say? Yeah. But again, one of the classic um, stirring speeches of, of all time. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's hard to choose because Winston Churchill was a master orator, you know, and he was the man that they needed at the time they needed him. Exactly. You know, and, and yeah, to sort through all the all the speeches he made in that time period and yep. how inspiring they all were to pick one that was like, this is where he nailed it, folks. Yeah, and it is outright Shakespearean. So out of, out of my three, I got like a sentence from each one, but this one I had a, a couple um, sentences from it, if you indulge me. Yeah. Um, he says, we have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. You ask, what is our policy? See, and this is something that could ring true today. Yeah. I will say it is to wage war by sea, by land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. Nice. Talk about focus. Well, he just clarified it for everybody. It's like, right. this is how it's going to go down. We're going to fight them every step of the way. Yep. And that just, yeah, if you don't get fired up by that. Right, you're dead. You're dead. And you clearly have never enjoyed a single Rocky movie. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, sir. <laughs> well, it's funny you picked that time period because I did the same with my number two quote. Uh, this was uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, addressing the nation after the attack on Pearl Harbor. A date which will live... In infamy. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there was a lot of shit going down at the time. It was global. Um, you know, the, the sides were clearly drawn. And with this particular speech, this came on the heels of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, the American public was scared. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew what was going on in Europe. We were painfully aware of it. We were painfully aware of the, the uh, advances of Hitler and, you know, of that faction and how desperate England was hanging on and everybody wondered what was going to happen and then this happened Mm -hmm. and it just rocked people back on their heels and it was like what are we going to do and FDR made it very very clear what we were going to (laughs) do you know and some some choice uh, excerpts from that speech Mm -hmm. Uh, no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion the American people in their righteous might will win to absolute victory. I mean, talk about making it very clear sure. what, what our agenda is. This is what we're going to do, you know. 
And I don't know if people are aware of this, but not only had the Japanese attacked Pearl, Pearl Harbor at the time, but they had attacked Hong Kong, they had attacked Guam, they had made advances in the Philippines, they attacked Wake Island, and they attacked Midway. You know, the Japanese were pushing it. Mm -hmm. They were coming for us. And, yeah, if, if anybody had any doubts, any, any questions about how America was going to respond... FDR made it very, very clear that night how we were going to respond. Right. And, you know, the next day, like, every able-bodied American mm -hmm. male went in and signed up. It was like, it's on. It's yeah. on. Here and we go. To this day, I'm amazed how he galvanized a kind of lackadaisical industrial base at that point. Yeah. And not only re-energized it in a space of weeks, but completely transformed us into a wartime economy. Yeah, and all like these that. businesses that used to build, you know, widgets, party hats, kazoos, were now building bombs, bullets, airplanes, and tanks. Yeah. And they were not only at peace with it, but on a financial side of things, the government, through bonds and whatnot, they were paying for all this shit with, with real money. Yeah. So yes, it was a sacrifice, but it was something that everybody on every single level was bought into. Yeah. Okay. And it's funny because it, it elicited a corresponding statement uh, from uh, the Japanese. I believe it was Yamamoto. Mm -hmm. You have um, no idea what you've yeah, just done. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> talk about a man who was eloquent. You know, the Japanese weren't short on, on guys who were eloquent, but what he said in response to that was, I fear we have awakened a sleeping giant and filled yeah. him with a terrible resolve. Yeah. Because he had studied here. Was it Harvard? Yeah. Yeah. And and he he knew the the American resolve and a certain let's say personality that that people at least then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. had in, in this country that that oh, myth yeah. of the American character wasn't always a myth. <laughs> yeah, well things were quite divided, you know, prior to this. You know, you had your isolationists, mm -hmm. and then you had your your people who thought we needed to get involved in this. Right. And you know, there was a pitched. Uh, battle of, of beliefs, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. at that time period. And what, what FDR did was he galvanized it. Right. You know, he ended the discussion. He ended the disputes. He said, this is what we're going to do. Let's do it. Yep. You know? So, yep. yeah, you know, inspiring. Absolutely inspiring. Yeah. Good choice. No debate there. Thank you. Uh, my number two is uh, almost on a sentimental tip. All right. Um, in, in my lifetime, I can, uh, you know, set the bar for my eloquent president's Beginning and ending with Ronald Reagan. No doubt. And, you know, granted, he wasn't writing the speeches, but he sure as hell gave them, and he performed them. And he had a connection with the American people that I think it's going to be a, a very long time before we see that again. Yeah. And what really came to mind was when he addressed the nation um, after the Challenger blew up. Yeah. And um, some interesting points about that, that speech, I mean, that was the first time ever that the State of the Union, because it happened around the same time, yeah. was ever postponed for anything. Right. And he decided, no, we're, the country's going to mourn, I'm going to speak, we'll do it next week. Right. Okay? Also, it was at that time, if I remember the speech correctly, the 500th anniversary of the death of Sir Francis Drake, renowned explorer, yeah. and he had referenced that. And he also referenced that it was almost uh, 30 or 35 years to the day that we lost um, our three astronauts on the launch pad. Apollo 1. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, you know, we had never lost an astronaut in flight before. And, you know, the one line that it always... Stick stuck out to me. It made me tear up when I heard it the first time and many times thereafter uh, at the very, very end where he says, and they slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Yeah. 
it's kind of like giving the whole nation a hug. And I don't know if we could uh, ever have a speech like that today because we're just so cynical, you know? Yeah. And people would, you know, whatever the emotional equivalent is of pushing away that hug. I don't want to hear it. Oh, he's a shyster. You know, he's, he's shilling to the most common denominator in our emotions. You can imagine what, what people would say is something like that. So that's sure. maybe why these politicians today just don't even bother, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's just a grizzled, jaded audience. Yeah. Well, I will say I, I was not a fan of Ronald Reagan and his politics, but uh, the man was a master orator, and he knew how to rally the troops, so to speak. Yep. Um, you know, you could not no matter how much you may have disagreed with him and his politics, you could not take that away from him. And you want to talk about a guy that would uh, unify, you know, everyone's perspective. You know, he was a, an absolute master at that. Yep. And, uh, and quite honestly, I, you know, look for that in our presidents. We do. We, and, even uh, if, like I said, if you're against him or you're, you know, just pro-Democrat uh, and anti-Republican, you still look for those qualities yeah. that... You know, like I said, unfortunately, in our lifetime, there hasn't been many of them to draw from. Unfortunately, yeah. You know, we're both post-JFK, okay? But that would be the next great orator in, in, in the line of presidents that I would think of. Absolutely. And then you had kind, kind of a spate, like one of our, our mutual honorable mention speeches <laughs> was going to be Eisenhower's farewell address, yep. where he warned against the evils of the industrial military complex. Yeah. So prophetic and so, like, I'm dead on. amazing how he nailed that one. And yeah. again, a message for... All Americans. That wasn't slated for a particular segment or party or anything like that. Nope. It was an address to everybody. Yeah. There was nothing political about that statement right. at all. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, good call, Johnny. Good call. Um, number one. Dun, 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 dun. This is uh, arguably, and, and anybody who's studied these kinds of things uh, would agree, one of the greatest speeches of all time by a man who just was a master at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, probably not hard to guess, I'm talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech mm -hmm. that he delivered in August of 1963 in Washington, D.C. Everybody should take a moment at some point to sit down and listen to the recording of this speech. Because, the whole recording. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, literally. Don't pick and choose. Listen to the whole thing. Because yep. it was an absolutely amazing speech. And people will focus on a lot of different aspects of it. The thing that really uh, jumped out at me, nailed me, was a very simple part of it, a very simple, straightforward thing. Um, for those of you who don't know it, he delivered this in Washington, D.C., in the shadow of the Lincoln Monument. Mm -hmm. And uh, about halfway through the speech, he said, we have come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. Right. And he's like, if that doesn't jump out and slap you right in the face... You have no pulse. I'm sorry, you know? And what he said before it, what he said after it, you know, was just stunning. And it wasn't just what he said, but it was how he was saying it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the man was a master orator. Right. You know, and you can say what you want about him, you know, whether you agreed or disagreed with his perspective on things. I mean, this guy just was amazing in, in grabbing your heart, yep. you know, and hanging on to it. And at a time when... In his particular struggle for civil rights, yeah. there was clear-cut good guys and bad guys. Oh, yeah. He never vilified anybody no, in any of his speeches. Well, one of the things that he said during the speech that was particularly stirring was he advised his fellow African Americans not to, across the board, make enemies of all white people. You know, he pointed out that, you know, based on the turnout of our white brothers here today, 
you know, that's not a valid perspective to take. Mm. You know, he was, he had that broad a vision. Right. And, you know, just remarkable. And I do want to clarify one thing, because it seems like recently some politicians have hijacked a segment of his speech <laughs> and taken it completely out of context and, in all honesty, you know, insulted the man in doing so. Um, this was a part of the, the, the speech that these idiots tried to hijack. Uh, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. You can't take that out of context. Right. You can't take just that. You have to take it in perspective of the whole speech. Okay. He was talking about his children. That was a very personal statement he made, mm -hmm. and it was not to be used, you know, for anyone else's purposes, but stating the condition of things at that time. Right. And if you see anybody hijacking that one and bastardizing it, you know that person's full of shit completely, and you should turn them off. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I will agree with you on that. I mean, there's a, there's a reason we have a holiday dedicated to this man. Indeed. And I, I find it sad and, and such an incredible disservice to the African-American community. Again, it's just my opinion. But, you know, going back to, say, mid to late 80s when the self-appointed bearers of his torch yeah. were characters like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. Yeah. I mean, just talk about a, a vision and a mission that just got hijacked by ineptitude. Not, not across the board, but the ones that were able to seize the national spotlight Agreed. were just sorely lacking in, in the character that made Martin Luther King who he was and what he was able to accomplish. Yep. It's a fucking sin, is, is what it is. Agreed. But... That would be a political commentary, which we never do. <laughs> no, we don't do that. No. Either. No. Over to you, John. Okay, over to me. My number one, uh, for me, is easy, being a, a bit of a Lincoln file that I am. Yes. Um, I always go back to uh, what, in my opinion, was easily one of the greatest speeches in recorded history, which was the Gettysburg Address. Yep. And I say that from the simple context of here was a president um, on this this disgusting battlefield, you know, with, with you know, almost 100,000 casualties to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Um, basically, it was a Pyrrhic victory, okay? Mm -hmm. Granted, it did turn the tide of the war, but you're looking at a Pyrrhic victory amongst the bloated bodies and a country that was sick of war at that point. They the were starting to... sick, period. Maybe let's bail on the, you know, freeing the, the slaves, let's get back together. And he knew that... In, in, in a way of seeing things that only he could, that we were so close yep. to turning the tide, yep. and we would be so much better off if we just stuck to our guns and got through this. Stay the course. And that was the message that he had to convey on a couple crumpled pieces of paper. Get this country to not just stay together, but stay the course through this unimaginable horror, okay? Yeah. And, and they say from affidavits of people there that the stank of the bodies was just thick as shit, in the air during this entire presentation, the, the yeah. smoke, the decay. And yet here he is, our president, carrying on this most austere um, um, speech. Yeah. And, and for me, just the, the concept of you know, saluting these men on both sides yeah. and that their lives would not have been given in vain. And those who have shown the, um, and here's the famous phrase, the last full measure of devotion. Yeah. Um, because what... What 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 consolation or what what condolences can you give to the families that lost their sons, brothers, fathers, you name it? Um, again, on both sides. Yeah. And sometimes the speeches are meant to spur action 
and sometimes they're meant to keep us in the fight. Yeah. And I think often you need them more when you're in the fight, and that's when the most eloquent of words um, come into play. Yeah. And not to overly, you know, glamorize something or, or put it on a bigger pedestal than it needs to be. You could say there's many things that differentiate man from other species. Everything yeah. from opposable thumbs <laughs> to the ability to reason and love or hate or whatever. But in any language, when somebody concentrates to um, create a, a, a painting, if you will, or, or a mosaic of, of thoughts to reach such a wide-ranging audience, people from all walks of life and diverse opinions and people whose opinions are already made up yeah. as well as those that are undecided mm -hmm. or to galvanize people through the horrors of, of war or sadness of any kind. Yeah. That's, in my opinion, what separates us from the lower species, Indeed. you know? Indeed. And it's when we appeal to those better angels of our nature and are able to construct something like this. My only lament, my friend, is that nowadays, obviously... None of these politicians write their own shit. It's always some yeah. really brilliant intern that never gets credit. <laughs> but I guess there is still an art form in how you present the words. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And you want to talk about someone who had to shoulder an impossible burden Ugh. You know, at a time of just, just ultimate conflict. And already dealing with manic depression on his own right and yeah. a crazy wife and everything else. <laughs> talk about just doing your duty. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, the man stepped up. He yep. stepped up and, uh, and got a bullet in the head for it. Yeah. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, have you enjoyed the play? <laughs> Oof. Ooh. John, I think we need a gem to get us we out of do. this. We do. We <laughs> do. I think we need something a little... We uh, need something. Yeah, it's it's a little... Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to beep, beep, toot my own horn for this one because yep. I kind of prophesied that we were going to need something uplifting. Another inspired call, I got to say. And while not sugary sweet, definitely always on the positive side, let's do a little ditty by <laughs> Mr. Paul McCartney and Wings... In honor of our big speech makers, how about a little uh, listen to what the man said? Let's do that. Let's do that. We'll be back in a few minutes with some more things and stuffs and wrap-ups and salutations. Stay tuned.
indeed we know that people will find a way to go no matter what the man said. Love is fine for all we know, for all we know our love will grow. That's what the man said. Don't you listen to what the man said. He said. Call Johnny. Just another, a happy tune. Another good call. I, that that felt good coming out of that last segment. Yeah, I feel refreshed. We needed that. We needed that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was Wings. Listen to what the man says. Uh, that was a hit single off their '75 album Venus and Mars. Unusual. It was a number one single in the U.S., but it only hit number six in the U.K. Huh, that's you know? odd. So yeah, they not as much love for Sir Paul in the U.K. as gotcha. there was in the U.S.A. on that one, but. Uh, but regardless, you know, a classic song nonetheless. Yeah, good and, tune, uh, good band. And again, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, all the music that we play here in Richard Rants, we do not have rights to it or ownership or anything like that. However, we do present these songs not just to give us a breath of fresh air between segments, but to educate you, our listening audience, on some of the truly great moments in this little thing we call rock and roll and to hopefully keep it alive. Nicely said. There we go. And now we don't get sued. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, before we get into what's new in Big Boom Radio, uh, this week I want to I backtrack a little bit, a little omission on my part from last week. Uh, anybody that's not living in a cave uh, is aware of the fact of the passing of Mark Lanigan uh, at the age of 57 mm -hmm. uh, last week. Mark, of course, was the lead vocalist for uh, the Seattle band Screaming Trees and uh, had a, a just incredible um, solo output, did uh, far more as a solo artist than he did with the trees. And unfortunately, it's one of those situations like we saw with Lou Reed, where I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are glomming onto this for the cool factor. Right. Um, oh, yeah, you know, I was a huge fan, so we're not going to go there. <laughs> I just want to say that I was a huge fan of Lanigan uh, and the work he did with Screaming Trees. Uh, his solo work was just stirring and, and, and moving and very, very impressive. And we lost a true artist, and he will be missed. And, uh, and that's all that needs to be said on that. So, Gotcha. What's new in Big Boom Radio this week, Johnny? Well, keeping it real brief in the interest of time, uh, well, at the top of the list, we've got uh, another 
wrestling pay-per-view happening All March right. 25th. Oh, good fun. Uh, with our good friends at Blitzkrieg Pro Wrestling. I believe it's called High Energy, but I'm not positive. Nice. I know tickets go on sale Monday, but really the most important aspect of this is... Yes. As if just going there and watching the matches and interacting with everybody isn't a good enough time. Oh, it's good fun. Yeah, we're going to be at this one at a little booth or table or whatnot. All right. Giving away and selling swag of oh, all kinds. Oh, we got the swag. All right. Yeah, it's for Big Boom Radio <laughs> and the Rockabilly nice. Rumble and Riffs and Rants. What do we got for swag, Johnny? Oh, should I even tell them yet? Yeah, we, we got, got t- a lot of shit. We got stuff. We got T-shirts. We got mugs. Uh, giving away, you know, pens and candy and all kinds of stuff. It's just going to be a good time. All right. I want to do kazoos, too, but I feel it might be disruptive <laughs> because one thing wrestling fans are good uh, at is taking anything at hand and doing it in unison at the same time. Indeed. <laughs> so indeed. Yes. I don't want to be disruptive. That's why we're nah, not getting beach balls. Nah, we don't want to do that. But yeah, that's going to be just... We don't want to be those guys. We don't want to be, but you know, we're going to be. We probably Somehow. will. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Nice. And the ownership and the, and the, uh, and the promoters of that. They indulge me. They're so good. Such a good yeah. bunch of people. Yep. Indeed. So yeah. So check it out, folks. Uh, we'll announce a little, little more in detail in the next show about that. Um, and otherwise, yeah, just staying busy, programming new shows. Yep. This week I started doing uh, another slate of new shows, and you know what? I don't miss the four that we cut out because that's no. just half off my table, man. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. just you know lean and mean, <laughs> lean, lean and mean going into twenty twenty two. Oof. So yeah. yeah, and one of my things is I want to keep uh, updated with uh, our individual shows. Yeah. Um, as far as keeping them new and fresh and topical, as well as this program, absolutely. And uh, of course, a- an influx of new music going in just to the overall stockpile that we play in a station. And I'll uh, maybe I'm I'm biased, but at the same time, since I'm the asshole that programs, and I know it for a fact <laughs> that. We've got so much more music than everybody else. Yes, we do. Because, yeah, it takes a little longer because i got to put all the tags on it to make sure the royalties go in the right places. But it's so worth it because I find now that even listening to Sirius XM, yeah. I'm hearing the same song in the same day on the same channel. No. And there's no excuse for that. I'm None, sorry. None at all. Especially no. with a giant company like that with their bankroll. Calling bullshit on that. Completely. And, truth be told, not all, <laughs> but a good many of the Sirius XM hosts... They need to be doing checkout at a Walmart or something because their DJ skills, it's like, it sounds like somebody's got a gun to their head. Kind of does. Yeah, next up, we got this this band right here, and you're listening to Slappy Funhouse on the series. It's like, come on. Come on, guys. Get get into it. Come on. And and for a station that... Get excited about it. Right. And on one hand, you might like have Little Stevens Underground Garage, and he's telling stories, and yeah, it's like, oh, this is riveting. And then he's done, and they put up some guy that, like, literally, I wouldn't pay to wash my car. Well, that's tell the me problem, about rock and roll. Steven is so good at what he does. Maybe that's it. And is an inspiration. Truly is. Yeah. And, and ultimate respect to little Steven. But, All right. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll go easy on him for now. All right. You suck. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> that being said, I re-up my subscription for another year. Very good. <laughs> so on that, folks, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you weren't too preachy, and I hope you brought a little bit of fun education into your lives Absolutely. with our uh, our top three speeches and yeah. whatnot. So in the meantime, uh, remember, don't be complete shits to each other. Indeed. And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side.